Good morning, everyone. I, uh, I hate this. I, I truly do. Uh, this, is, this is really weird to me. I'm so excited that you're here, whether you're watching us in-house or you are watching online. For me, this is extremely weird. Uh, I definitely want to be here with you this morning, but uh, because uh, Kristen was diagnosed last week with COVID, um, and uh, she's on the rebound as of when I'm recording this, she's doing great, and so by by uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, we all should be in the clear uh, for that disease, and can't wait to join you on Christmas Eve, four o'clock, nice and early in the evening, so all of us can be snug at home in our beds, and plenty of time for Christmas morning, but uh, this is weird. This is weird. So even if you're in-house today, you're watching me on the screen. I, I went to a, a, a message a long time ago. It was at Traders Point Christian Church, and Aaron Brockett was speaking, and they were getting ready to launch their first uh, remote campus, and they were looking for volunteers to go and be a part of that church plant. And the way it works is they have live worship, but then they have uh, the video cast in of him preaching live from the main campus. And so uh, he was asking for volunteers, and he's like, oh, wait, do you think it'd be too weird to, to watch? me on a screen. They're like, yeah. And then he looked beside him and then these huge, huge jumbotrons in the sanctuary there at Trader's Point. And he's like, you're watching me right now on a big giant screen. There's no difference. So if you're watching me at home, you're going to be watching me on the screen. If you're watching me here uh, in the service, you're going to be watching me on the screen. Uh, sorry, it's me that you've got to look at and not something better. But hey, it's okay. We'll get through it together, won't we? Thank you for your patience in this. Thank you for allowing me to do this. Thank you for your prayers this week for our family. Uh, clearly, they are working and uh, folks are, uh, Kristen is recovering quickly and uh, so far so good. So hopefully that continues um, for all of us and, and hopefully God keeps you safe this week as well as you get ready for Christmas. The reality is this, what a blessing it is that we're actually even here, you know? I think about it. If you think back earlier this year, I mean much earlier this year, there was a point in time when we really didn't know if or when we would be able to gather together again. Now, for me, there was a point in 2020 where this year seemed to just creep along, honestly, as slow as I can ever remember life moving. Now, for me personally, I happened to really, really, really enjoy <laughs> that moment. But then something happened. Uh, it was long about July for me, I don't know about you, and all of a sudden, life began to move at warp speed. Now, the rest of this year literally flew by, and now, very, very soon, 2020 will be officially in the books. And I know that is good news for many people. I understand that completely. But my question for you for today is this, how will you approach what's ahead? How will 2021 be different for you. The reality is every day of our life is truthfully, honestly, what we choose to make of it. So what will you be doing to ensure that 2020, as far as it depends on you, never, ever, ever happens again? How are you planning? How are you preparing for what might lie in the future? Can I ask you to consider an idea with me? As we all begin to look ahead and to consider the unknown that lies there, consider where right now we are all starting from. What if, what if every one of us could literally get a do-over, could start over, could get a fresh start? What if each one of us was allowed a new beginning? Think of all the movies that have been made, the books that have been written, the stories that have been told. <clears throat> 
about those that wanted or needed, and, and some even got to receive that new beginning. It, it might be, it might be a God-infused cry in the heart of all mankind. Why? Well, because sin, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one is perfect. So we are always constantly looking for redemption, looking to make things right. So many are in the pursuit of a fresh start for an untold number of reasons. Some of those reasons are very, very good. Some of those reasons are quite bad, but the pursuit doesn't change. Here's one of my greatest fears moving forward. My fear is this. My fear is that so many people will give up that pursuit. They become overwhelmed by the burden of this last year. They become too fearful to escape, too anxious to try anything new, or, or too depressed to believe that joy man, could ever be a reality in their life again. Church, I know I'm not physically with you, but hopefully you can hear it. Never, ever, ever, ever let this become your reality, brothers and sisters. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no valley too low for Jesus to carry you out of it. There is no obstacle too high for him to carry you over. And there is no expanse too wide that he cannot carry you across it. But here's the thing. You got to let him pick you up. Beyond that, as a believer, there's a deeper commitment we have to others. If you are a believer, you must go. I must go to those that are on the brink of losing hope right now. This time of year, we've got to go to them. We've got to offer the hope that we are celebrating this week in the birth of our Savior. The fresh start, the new beginning <clears throat> that is available to them right now as a result of what began at Christmas and ended with that empty tomb so many years ago. <clears throat> we have such hope to share. We have such joy to spread. We have such peace to offer anyone, and I mean anyone that is willing to listen. Remember, it's not our job to change their mind. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God within them, which happens to be, I believe, the same spirit that fuels Christmas to this very day. Unfortunately, his identity is often masked in the holiday of Christmas. But the very name reveals the truth. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And how many people out there are crying out today, all I want for Christmas is a new beginning. But they just don't know where to start. If that's you, or if that's someone you know, can I please offer a little guidance? <clears throat> I want you to turn with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 together this morning. And listen to what the Messiah is bringing to those that come to him. <clears throat> Verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow them a crown of beauty 
instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's what God is offering you today. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the splendor, <coughs> sorry, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long ago devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and an everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation <clears throat> and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As his bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and his bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Amen. I want to begin by just looking at the first few verses of this as Isaiah is prophetically speaking on behalf of the coming Messiah. This prophecy is literally fulfilled in the book of Luke. And I want to tell you that story. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And now it is time to officially begin his earthly ministry. He has now returned to his hometown of Nazareth. And I want you to listen to this description. So if you've got your Bibles out still, go ahead and flip to Luke chapter 4. We'll be there for quite a while now. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Go ahead and find that real quick. I'm going to start by reading just a small portion of it as you find it. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. People were noticing Jesus. Why? You know, Luke doesn't give the details. But Jesus had clearly been doing or saying something that kind of got everybody's attention. You could even, um, here's the thing, okay? I want to show something to you. If you do not have one of these yet, it might just look like a Bible and it's probably not zoomed in well enough or focused well enough to see what this is. But every one of you should get one of these. It's not too late. Uh, Christmas is coming and I think Amazon could still get it here on time. This is called a chronological Bible. Uh, you can go to websites that, that kind of have some of this as well, but it's just so much better to have it in hand. Now, the chronological Bible is not perfect. It puts the events of the Bible in chronological order. What it is, is the best study, the best research that they've been able to put together to date. And here is what it does. I love it. It takes the Bible and it attempts to put all the stories from beginning to end in the actual chronological order, the actual order in which they happened. 
right? Let's focus on the New Testament. This is my favorite part. It takes the life of Jesus as described in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it puts all those events and teachings of Jesus in actual real-life order. If you didn't know, the Gospels aren't necessarily written in chronological order. Those stories are just put in there together. There's parts of it that are in order. Some of them are more orderly than others, but this actually puts everything all together. All the miracles, all the teachings in order in which they happened. It takes the stories from the Gospels that are repeated more than once, and it puts them together. It's an awesome thing. For example, the baptism of Jesus is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in a chronological Bible, all four of those accounts are back to back to back to back. It takes the synoptic gospels, the three that are the most alike, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it puts all of their stories, their similar accounts, right beside each other. What's awesome about that is you might read the same account three times, but you're reading it from three different perspectives, and each author kind of highlights their own specific thing from each miracle or each teaching of Jesus. I will just tell you, this is a great way to read the Bible. This is my favorite way to read the Bible. The book of Acts is phenomenal because the book of Acts, it takes all the letters that Paul wrote to all the churches, and it places them within the timeline of Paul's life as we read it unfold in the book of Acts. It gives you such perspective and insight, and I could not recommend this resource enough in this new year. If you're looking for a new way to study the Bible in the new year, find a chronological Bible. Mine's an NIV study Bible, chronological Bible. It is awesome. Highly recommend it um, if you need something like that or like something like that. Let's get back to Jesus. Why were people drawn to him? Well, a study in a chronological Bible will tell us because it tells us where Luke 4 takes place in the overall ministry of Jesus. Why was news spreading throughout the countryside? Well, here we go. Since the baptism of Jesus and his temptation, he did that one little miracle at the wedding where he turned the water into wine. Some of you might remember that. He's begun to choose this random, curious bunch of men to follow him. He found that his father's house had been turned into a den of robbers. And so he went on Indiana Jones and everybody and cleaned the place out. He met with a religious leader named Nicodemus, a fascinating character from Scripture who I love studying about. And during that meeting, he dropped the most famous words maybe ever spoken on this planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John the Baptist is going around telling people that, yeah, Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. Jesus had a scandalous meeting with that Samaritan woman and proceeded, that woman proceeded to convert her entire community to the cause of Christ. And oh, Jesus had also healed the royal official's son who was near death. He'd begun preaching the same message as John the Baptist. The kingdom, uh, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's from Mark chapter one, verse 15. But there was more. He also had likely healed the centurion's servant. He'd likely driven out demons from several people. He'd healed the sick. He'd allowed a paralyzed man to walk. He cured leprosy. He added a tax collector to his random group of men. He healed a blind man. He healed an invalid who'd been invalid for more than 38 years. And he also did many of these things on the Sabbath, which had raised a few eyebrows across the religious leaders. It's also quite possible that Jesus had already preached the great sermon on the mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that he had raised the widow's son from the dead. This reading takes place about a year or so into Jesus's ministry. So maybe now we can understand why so many people were talking about him. But what happens in this scene takes everything to a whole new level. Join me in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. 
He says, he, Jesus, went to Nazareth when he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And I want to pause right there just for a moment. I want to take note of something for you, if you didn't quite catch that. Um, it's Sabbath, and where's Jesus? He's in church. That's right. Why was he in church? It says because that's what his custom was. Yes, that is just what Jesus did. He went to church when it was open. Shocking, right? Now, if there was anyone that ever walked this earth that didn't need to go to church, I would contend that maybe Jesus would have that right, that he didn't really need to go and worship himself at church. But here he is setting another perfect, setting another perfect example for all of us. But I want to make it a step further. If anyone had a reason not to go to church. I contend that it would be Jesus. Why? Well, number one, because the religious leaders had already begun to dislike, distrust, and envy Jesus. But it went further than that. The religious leaders, the Pharisees in particular, had now begun already pursuing opportunities, plotting and planning to kill Jesus. So going into a public arena like that and standing before all of this would be a very bad idea. Good reason not to go to church, but I would just thought I'd point out that he went anyway right? So this is a traditional Jewish service. The order of the service, they would begin with an opening prayer. They would make a reading from the laws of Moses. There would then be a reading from the prophets <clears throat> and then a sermon of some kind, some kind of speaking, maybe from a, a learned visitor who was visiting the synagogue on that day. On this occasion, it's quite possible that Jesus was that learned visitor. Now, since this synagogue was in Nazareth, his hometown, Jesus would have attended it often, before, and it wouldn't be uncommon for him to read and teach in his hometown synagogue. So here he is, and someone brings him a scroll. He didn't request it. They brought him the scroll from Isaiah, and he reads the passage we just read a few moments ago from Isaiah chapter 61. He read just a brief portion of it. In Luke, it looks like this. It's a direct quote. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Remember, Jesus is reading this, first person. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, there is nothing unusual about this reading. This was the time of the service where they would read from the prophets and Isaiah would have commonly been read from. If Jesus had done that and just read it and sat down and everything else, it, everything would have gone on just as normal. Nothing unusual would have happened at all. But you see, Jesus had a bit more to add to his words. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. As he sat down, everyone in the room, poof, their eyes were fastened on him, wondering what's he going to do next. And in verse 21, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know if you caught that or not. I'm going to read that again. Jesus has just read this prophetic word from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. He has now sat down, handed the scroll back, sat down. Everyone's staring at him. He kind of looks around and he says, okay, Today, right now, what I just read is fulfilled. It's coming true right before your very eyes. It's me. 
He said, what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Did, you, did, did, did he just say that he is the Lord's anointed one? Did he just claim to be the one that's coming to set the prisoners free? To heal the blind? To proclaim the, 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 the Lord's arrival? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, he did. He, did. he didn't kind No, he did. He absolutely did. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> he can't be doing those things. He's, he's Jesus from Nazareth. He, he's Joseph, the carpenter and Mary's son. There's no way he can be the Messiah, the Holy One that's come to free Israel. Could he? So Jesus, knowing what they're saying and thinking, tells them, you know, surely you're, you're going to quote this back to me later. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, hey, why don't you do in your hometown what you did over in Capernaum, Jesus? <sighs> I tell you true, he said. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, everybody listening, you know, there were a lot of widows in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. But you know what? Elijah wasn't sent to any of those towns. He was sent to the region of Sidon. Then there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. But Naaman, the Syrian, was. You see, Jesus goes right ahead and he calls everybody there that day out, remembering he's already begun doing these things. He's just described these things now from Isaiah, but he's already performed many of these miracles. He's just confirming that in him, this prophecy is in fact being fulfilled. He knows they're not going to accept it. Then he compares himself to the two greatest prophets in the history of Israel, not even the great Elijah or Elisha were accepted in their own hometown. Here's what we have to imagine. If you or I had been at church on that particular Saturday, just a thought, wouldn't you have hated to miss that day? <laughs> That's why you always got to be there because you never know what might happen. Here's what we got to imagine. If we went to church on that particular Saturday and there's this guy who we've all heard about, who we've all wondered about, who some of us have probably heard speak, who some of us have seen do these spectacular things in people's lives. He just stood up in the middle of our church service and claimed to be the Messiah. At this point, every single person that heard those words in the room have only two options. Option one, this man is speaking the truth. <laughs> and the Messiah has come. Can you imagine thinking that? Or you have another option, number two. This man is insane, clinically insane, and he's trying to pull off the biggest fraud ever to be perpetrated on all of humanity. <laughs> what would you do if that were you that day in that service? Now, Luke actually records what happens in verse 28. He says, all of the people of the synagogue after Jesus' words were now furious with him. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the edge, the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he, Jesus, somehow miraculously walked right through the crowd and went on his way, thus proving mob mentality doesn't even always know exactly what it is they're trying to accomplish. 
Jesus stands up, reads from the prophet, announces who he specifically is in the synagogue, in the temple, in his father's house, and the people go so crazy and they literally try to chase him out of town and kill him in that very moment. Israel was longing for a new beginning. They longed to come out from under the oppressive hand of the Roman Empire. They longed to restore their former greatness. Maybe they just longed for a type of freedom that they, they just didn't have any longer. Got all I want for Christmas. God, all I want for Christmas is a new beginning, a, a fresh start. You see, when Jesus announces that he has come to offer, that he, God, is the anointed one, and he has come to proclaim good news to the poor, that he has sent me, Jesus, to come and proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, <clears throat> to set the oppressors free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, this week, we are celebrating the reality that Jesus came to do that very same thing for you and for me as well. For anyone who would believe. You see, Jesus was sent by God to heal the damage that sin has brought on this earth. You see, sin impoverishes. It ruins and weakens each and every one of us. So Jesus comes to bring good news to the poor. Sin breaks hearts, doesn't it? If you had your heart broken by sinful behavior, maybe your own, maybe by someone else's, but you see, the Messiah came to bring good news to the brokenhearted. Sin holds us captive. It enslaves us. The Messiah comes to set us free. Sin blinds us from seeing the truth in our lives and in our world. The Messiah comes to open our eyes and heal our spiritual eyes and our moral blindness. Sin oppresses. It torments its victims. The Messiah comes to bring us liberty. You see, Jesus did not come only to preach deliverance. Uh, Jesus did not even come only to bring deliverance. No, Jesus took it a step further. You see, Jesus came to be our deliverance for us. God delivered the Hebrew nations from the hands of the Egyptians, but please note what he did. He did not call them to stay in Egypt, did he? He drew them out. He let them out of Egypt and provided for them all along the way. Jesus does the same for you and for me today. This is important. This is important because when Jesus frees us from the bondage of our sin, he does not leave us, free us, in order to leave us in that sinful situation. But rather, he calls us to leave the sin behind and to begin a journey toward our heavenly home. You cannot remain in sin while also being delivered from sin. Thus, the call of Christ to his people of his generation and still to us today is simply this, repent. Repent, go the other direction, come toward me. As Jesus preached, his constant message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 4, 17. Following his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus commissioned his, fellow, <coughs> his followers to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name. And the apostles, when asked, what do we need to do? Their response, repent. 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, all I want for Christmas is a new beginning. So many today are crying out for that to take place in their life. But the chances are pretty good that they don't know where, or should I say who, might be able to point them in the right direction. In just five days, in just five days, we remember the events that unfolded in that small Jewish town about five miles from Jerusalem, Bethlehem, the city of David, brought forth a baby, a baby that would grow into a man who put into motion a plan that brought the hope of redemption, the hope of everlasting life and an eternity with our creator, a new beginning for our relationship with God as God came to man through an innocent baby, a humble virgin, to change the eternal course of human history. If you have never accepted that opportunity, if you have never unwrapped the gift of the new beginning that Jesus came to offer you, right now is the time. I realize I'm not here physically in person, but there's plenty of folks in this room that can come up with you and share that good news with you and help you walk in Jesus' direction. There is no better moment than right now for you to make that decision. You could come today and get a new start all over. Whether you're online or you're here in this house, you can meet with Jesus today and get that brand new start. Because here's the thing, what an incredible Christmas that would be for you. Because here's the thing, you are the reason Jesus came in the first place. Yes, you, and me too. It's that personal. Maybe you accepted Jesus long ago, but you know someone who more than anything right now needs a new beginning. This last year, their life has been rough. They need the hope of the new year, but beyond that, they need the hope that only Jesus can offer. Would you take that to them this Christmas? It doesn't cost you a dime. It's a free gift that you're offering them. There's no greater gift you could ever offer anyone. Father God, as the praise team moves into place, we move into the next phase of the service. Father God, there's so many crying out for a new beginning right now. Father, there are believers across this world and in this room and watching right now online that, Father, they've messed up and they know it. Some of them even doubt that you will be willing to forgive them. Father, that could never be farther from the truth. You will willingly extend that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy to anyone who asks. Father, let them go before you today and ask for that new beginning, for that fresh start in your son and your spirit as we approach this new year. But Father, there could be somebody watching, whether it's today online, whether it's in 10 years online, we don't know. This is out there for good, for the good of man from now until whenever it comes off the internet. So Father, someone could come across this at any time. And the moment they realize that you came to this earth for them, that this holiday that we're celebrating about this baby being born in this crazy environment, <clears throat> in this super simple way, and yet becoming who he is was, Father, he came. He came for them. 
He came for every individual person on this planet. And if they find that out, then in this moment, they can be redeemed as well. Father, we want to lift up all of our families, all of that's, that's been joining us online as we go and, and celebrate Christmas this week. May we never forget the true meaning of Christmas and the birth of your son and what that's all about and why he came. And Father, if it be your will, <clears throat> we pray for a, a great gathering on Christmas Eve to press pause on the busy holiday season and remind ourselves of the true heart of the meaning of Christmas. Father, it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. And it's him who we celebrate. Amen.